we spent two days here hunting, and when we got here, you were like, okay, call Austin Butters. So I need to know the story behind how you got that nickname. So have you ever seen the show Cartoon South Park? Yes. There's a little kid on it that just makes silly little mistakes. And so that <laughs> was just Austin to a T. The other day, he gives me a call, or this was about September, he gives me a call, and he goes, Jace, uh, can you get a gas can ready? I'm like, sure, what do, what do I need a gas can for? He goes, well, I went to take one of the Duck Lake members on a tour, show him the blinds, and I'm about out of gas. <laughs> I'm like, there's a barrel of gas up here. <laughs> it's not that hard to have your truck full all the time. <laughs> oh, so this was in a truck, not an ATV. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're so you seven miles away. You had a fuel gauge and everything. Oh, right? 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and I told myself right before we left, I, I, I'm pretty sure I told the guy, hey, I need to fill up. And then I still just got excited, took him to the lake. You and Jake Templin, my son, y'all are, you got kindred <laughs> spirits because he's kind of the same way. <laughs> we were coming back from South Florida. He was driving back after baseball, summer baseball, and all his lights came on his forerunner. I'm like, Jake, I've looked this up six ways from Sunday. Like I'm in New Orleans with Brax doing a baseball tournament and jake's like dad my lights are on i'm going to crash it's going to die whatever i look it up and, and on toyota everything that when all the lights come on it means your gas cap's bad or it's, it means your gas cap is off so i'm like jake go check your gas cap dad my gas cap's on i promise i'm like jake just do what i'm telling you and finally you know three hours later and like 80 phone calls he's like oh dad it, you're right i'm sorry <laughs> was the gas can. so maybe we have a butters too maybe jake becomes butters too or b2 or something <laughs> this is the in the field podcast brought to you by pheasant bonanza everyone thanks for joining in um, we have the one and only Jay Sorensen, best looking guide at Fez Bonanza. Yikes. Oh, that is all opinion, but. Um, and then we have the good old Butters. Head guide Butters, also known as the Louis Vuitton cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> Once again. Can I ask why that is? I'll show you a video after the podcast oh if you want. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you heard about the odds game, didn't you? No. Okay, so we play this game called What Are the Odds? And you pick a number, and then you go one, two, three, and then you say a number in between one and that number. So it's ten, one, two, three, you'll say a number. If you say the same number, the person has to do whatever the game was. So we did it on the podcast. He had to buy an all-orange cowboy hat and guide it. And... Later, he actually really loved the cowboy hat. And we're, I'll, I'll find the video. <laughs> we're going to Pheasant Fest, and I'm walking it in with all the dogs. And he goes, grab my cowboy hat. I'm like, all right, grab your cowboy hat. I'm just walking, and I got Scout I'm sitting at a um, crosswalk, holding the cowboy hat down to my side. Scout sniffs it, lifts his leg up, and pisses on the cowboy So do you still wear the cowboy hat after that mistake? No, he threw it away. <laughs> Look at this cowboy hat. Ha <laughs> 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 
Oh my god. <laughs> you got it in that hat. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent Too bad podcasts can't be televised. Oh man. Well, I think all new guides, I think y'all should buy a box of those. <laughs> and all new guides when they start, the first month or two they work here, you gotta tell them it's part of the uniform. <laughs> Oh, what are what are some other odds that you've you had to guide a hunt in loafers, hey dudes? So I, I lost, and we were up in Wisconsin in February, and it got a little warm, so all their snow was melting, but it's still cold. So I had to do a hunt in Wisconsin with hey dudes on in the morning. Oh, it was gosh. about a two and a half hour hunt. No way. Yeah, His, oh. I was walking in the snow, <laughs> so I wouldn't be walking in the water. <laughs> Oh gosh! He had to sleep in a tent on his own bachelor party. Yeah, out in the yard. Out in the yard. While everyone else slept in the Airbnb, I had to sleep in the yard in a tent because you lost. The, you yeah. lost it. That yeah. that was because we we went to this really nice steakhouse in Dallas, but we didn't know how nice it was. We realized there's, I mean, there's Porsches pulling up. There's valet. You remember what, where was it? I don't. It was. Um, it's it started a, with a P. It's a chain, but there's only three of them, and. We the goal was we were gonna go in, get our tags for uh striper fishing on the river, go back to the Airbnb and change and getting tags took forever. So you yeah, just went straight to the restaurant. So we we're like It was look, per- it was Perry's. Perry's. Perry's, yeah, a good place. Uh we, we've got guys in crocs, sweatshirts, <laughs> sick <Yeah>. coats. <laughs> <laughs> we're all in the, all in ball caps <laughs> and austin go well his buddy lost the game and so he was sleeping in a tent uh-huh. and then austin goes if we actually eat in this restaurant i'll sleep in the tent with you we walk in and we ask like hey are we we have a reservation can are we just okay <laughs> the waitress looks at us let's have a big sigh a big sigh <sighs> Just take off your hats. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not going to turn a big group like that away. No, no. Uh, you lost odds, but didn't do it. But it, you didn't have to pay. If you remember, I said, what are the odds? While we're fishing on our guided fishing trip, you just jump off the boat. And don't tell the guide anything. Just jump off the boat. But he didn't do it. <laughs> After being a guide, I love going on guided fishing trips because I'm the worst <laughs> client ever. <laughs> I didn't bait my hook. I didn't take a fish off the hook. Oh, no. I, I, absolutely. Do, do if you're paying for it, you yeah. it for, so for everybody else. I totally understand that. <laughs> the thing that threw the guide a little bit over the edge was when I asked for a bobber. <laughs> we're, fishing, <laughs> we're fishing 40 feet of water. He did not find that very funny. <laughs> but, all right. We have two special guests. I'm going to have you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves. Yeah, I'm Russell Templin. I'm Joe Gordy. Russell's been coming up here before this was even Pheasant Bonanza, correct? Yeah, so I've been coming here since Jim Murray, the original owner. We used to come out and go to Omaha, stay at his house. We'd pheasant hunt around town. And Jim, one year, was like, y'all come with me. Let's go. So we hunted down the road and came up. And he said, this place is for sale. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to buy it. So my relationship here, again, I think, it's been pheasant manager for 20 years so that was a little bit before that and then trent um became manager maybe two years after jim bought it and all and so trent and i've been friends uh friends since then so kind of hadn't been here in a few years but it's even better now that you guys are here to keep trent out of the way and cherry to keep him straight so y'all can just let him come and go and 
y'all can take care of everything, which has been great. And then, Joe, you bought a dog here, was that, two years ago? Yeah, so actually Russell here put me in touch with you guys, Trent and, and you, Jace, um, as I was looking for a good bird dog. And I came up here and checked out some dogs with you and took, well, one started dog back with me and and uh and one uh puppy my my dad came up with me and took a pup took a puppy back so i so. think that we were actually quail hunting yes we were quail hunting and yes. joe's like i need a dog i'm like i got a guy and i'm a lot of people tell you i'm that guy i'm like i got a guy you say you want something i got a guy so i was immediately texted trent trent's like hey jace is running the dog operation so i mean we sent phone numbers back and yep. forth and i mean you i think like three weeks later you came yep. up here and picked up the dogs yep yep that was my first started dog sale well there you go <laughs> it, it worked well he's doing great i was so nervous but so excited because he's coming up all the way from georgia yep and i just got these three started dogs in and you know so on and keep the rest of them for pheasant bonanza and it was just this awesome morning where we just pulled below trent's house with a box full of pigeons and three dogs loaded up and we just ran <laughs> through them yep and we'd pull one out or we ran through all three i want to see this one one more time one more time one more time and then he goes what do you think they're like in the water i'm like i have no freaking idea I'm never <laughs> <in> the water. <laughs> next thing you know we had them in the water axe was axe got into the trees yeah, I'm trying to get that pigeon. There out. was, yeah, there was a pigeon that you shot. It went in the water, and he took off down, crawled over trees in the water to to get it. And that was our introduction to how axe would take to water. <laughs> it worked out great. <laughs> so, the water here has been pretty interesting because Trent used to do when Deuce was alive. We would come in, and Deuce was older when I started. Even when I started coming here, and so I was always a big deal when I came. Deuce would always hunt with us, and I probably hunted with Deuce the last few times that, or the last few hunts he ever had. But anyway, Trent used to do around the pond at the end of the hill. Trent would put plant birds out there uh, for our this special occasion, and we would shoot the birds over the pond, and Deuce would go retrieve them like we we're shooting, you know, like we we're shooting <laughs> ducks. And so that was a big trick, and all the clients that we brought awesome. up to to visit, you know, they always wanted to see Deuce do that, do the water retrieves. That's awesome. Pheasant water yep. trees. And it's amazing. There's a lot of places, like I was telling you guys last night, we had um, the guys from Covey Rice come up, and the photographer has been doing that for 15 years, and he was so excited he's never seen a water pheasant retrieve. I think that's the only reason Coach got it in the magazine. Score <laughs> <laughs> for Coach. That, that was yeah. that was a pretty that was a cool article. Trent in the cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm not sure his head now fits in that cowboy hat because <laughs> of that article. But you know, to my surprise, I'd actually been down visiting with John and the Cubby Rise guys the few weeks before that came out, and so they didn't make the connection that I knew Trent and everything, and that was coming up. But that was that was pretty cool. Good old Trent. He's off elk hunting right now. Turns out being a manager of a hunt club isn't too bad. <laughs> no. It may have used to been bad. It's not now, <laughs> especially when it's got good folks like you guys yeah, taking exactly. care of things back home. But it was interesting. Butters Austin asked me today. He's like, you know, you've been a bunch of different places, especially this year. So um, I've done a two quail hunts in South Georgia. I've been duck hunting out in Kansas a few weeks ago, um, and then deer hunted early season archery deer hunted in Kansas in September. 
And Austin was like, well, what do you, you know, you go to all these places, what do you think? I'm like, you know what? They all have their different um, things that you enjoy. Uh, so I don't really pick one over the other. But I will tell you, since you guys, again, Trent's fantastic, but Trent used to try to do everything. I mean, and now seeing the kind of the transition into y'all being a big part of this and Sherry being a big part of it, it really has up the level of what Fez and Bonanza brings. And Preston was like, dude, why don't you even quail hunt if you can do this? I'm like, well, <laughs> again, they all have their, they all have their special, their special places, but um, th- this place is awesome. I mean, and you guys have just made it better. We, yep. I, we really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. nice to hear stuff like that, especially working sometimes late hours in October, November, you're, it's the grind it's is on. So it's, <laughs> yeah, we well, really I, appreciate that. I don't see how y'all do it. I mean, these guys that you, you know what y'all do the guys that i met that do the quail stuff down in south georgia i mean the crew just like you guys that crew in south georgia they were like telling us they had like two days off for the entire season and it was going to be seven days a week other than those two or three days and i'm like i, I love this stuff i just don't know that i could do it that, to that <laughs> degree and you know that like y'all take care of the dogs in the afternoons we get up in the mornings and that you know blow the dogs up and get all the, get all everything done and I will say the weather here is a little bit more more <laughs> difficult to deal with than it is down in South Georgia. It was a little warmer down there, so we've had a for those listening, we've had a cold, windy two days. It's been very windy. It hasn't been too cold. No, I'm joking. It's been pretty freaking. Well, yeah, I was cold. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it in a blizzard before. This yesterday was way worse. Yeah, yesterday was windy. You just could it cut right through you. I never get upset when guys lower. We get done with the hunt and they're like, "Hey, do you mind if we go a little longer? Go find some more." Most of the time, I'm like, "Hell yeah, let's do this. Let's make a pile." And then yesterday, I was like, "God, damn, that's the one thing I didn't want to hear." <laughs> <laughs> so I've hunted. I've hunted in some pretty you know difficult situations, but today, this morning was cold and it was windy. We hunted uh, around one of the ponds or. or areas and going one way it was really cold and windy coming back it wasn't quite as bad but so we at lunchtime i'm like guys we're gonna do this in a hurry so i walked into the i walked into the lodge and austin was there i'm like listen here's a deal we're gonna do this as fast as possible so i i had probably my best duck hunt ever when we were in kansas a few weeks ago and we did a 10-man limit in 25 minutes was fantastic all mallards that's a lot of shooting it was a lot of shooting it was a lot of shooting the first first group came in again 10 guys and i think we probably shot 15 birds in the first the first volley that came in but anyway so i was i told i came in and told austin said here's what we're gonna do we're gonna do 20 pheasant in 20 minutes i said that's the goal he goes we can you handle four dogs on the ground i said i don't care i'll help you i'll help you run dogs i'll help you do whatever let's do it but we did we didn't do it in 20 minutes, but we shot a lot of birds and had a good time this afternoon, too. We did it quick. Yeah. It was foom, foom, down back, down back. What did you think of Axe's sisters? Loved them. Yeah, it was it was great to come back. And you know, we were talking earlier about some of the things that we were looking at when we looked at the dogs a year ago. And to see Axe, you know, actually progress like he has and then see his sisters progressing like they are, it's really cool to see. They're, they're really kind of progressing at the same you know, stage, and so it's just really neat to see that maturity. Goofy little dog. They are. Austin's got a goofy skin. Yeah. What was it? Um, Butters here asked, <laughs> asked me about. Asked me about. Uh, what was it? The fl- you know, kind of flash pointing or you know, pointing early that kind of thing, and and uh, you know, we're dealing with the same thing. You know, Axe does the same thing sometimes, but I think it's um, you know, partly probably where 
you know where they came from. I think um, they were very heavily woke. Well, yes, I think I think that's exactly right. But watching them today, they do the same thing, which is the more time that they have out there, the more they real, you know, they kind of pick up the scent better, and I think they kind of get in their groove after mm-hmm. they've been out there a little bit. I've noticed. Longer. I've noticed sometimes if we're hunting into the wind, they'll lock up on point, and Bryn will come up to them. She'll get birdie, but then she'll go 60, 70 yards ahead of them and then lock up. They they just need that quick little sniff, mm-hmm. and then they're locked up, which makes sense when you're in the trial game. Those dogs are hauling ass, yep. and then you need them to stop on a little quail. Right. and You don't want them to flush it no, too be, quick. Be rock Run solid, yep. and then you've got to be able to walk up and kick up bird, fire off a cap gun, go tap them on the head. So I really, when I picked them up, you know, I this was two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. It was a while ago. But I kind of knew what I was looking at, but I knew I was getting good dogs anyway. We didn't actually go put them out on birds because it, it was a blizzard. And he was walk, walking me through stuff. He showed me that two of them were started on a force fetch, and then he had them all going and just in the barn, and he goes, whoa, and all of them stopped. I'm like, Whoa. Those dogs are whoa trained. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, that was what I learned in South Georgia this this fall. Is those guys? One of the guys, the the hunt master at Mill Pond, he was a big time field trial guy. So we're hunting wild cubbies off horseback, and there's this dog out running a long way away. I mean, he's two hundred yards in front of us, and I'm like, man, that's a big running dog. He goes, no, it's not. He said in the field trial game, he said, I'll put a big running dog on the ground this afternoon. He brought this other dog out that was one of his ex-field trial dogs, and he put him on the ground, and, dude, he was running three and 400 yards away. But that dog would, as soon as that dog smelled something, he would stop and stay there. As long – they've had to untrain him to do the, the tap because you can't do the tap hunting. It's, no, it's just too much, too much work, too – too much trying to get to the dogs and everything mm-hmm. so they've untrained the dogs to do that now they're whistle trained to release but that dog he'd get three four hundred yards ahead of you and but he would stop on a dime and he's like that's kind of what they have to do yep. I'm like i don't understand especially when they're on horseback right and that's oh, what that kennel was doing was a yeah, lot of horseback. horseback and those guys <laughs> are just hooping and hollering cheering that dog on letting that dog know hey we're still behind you you don't even think right. about turning right and, checking in on you just keep your ass going right and so he's he i'd always i'd seen a couple of videos and read some stuff about the guy the guys who like sing to the dogs as they do that field trial stuff and i i didn't know that i believed it i thought it was kind of you know i don't know just pomp and circumstance but man he he didn't do it loudly but he kind of just kept this cadence of you know his voice in almost a singing rhythm so they knew that they were doing right and doing what they were supposed to. It was pretty cool. Huh. I didn't know that. I got to another thing for you. You know, in Georgia, it is not a law that you have to wear a blaze orange. If a, really? a quail plantation, that's their rule. So a traditional quail plantation uses red and white as their color, as their count, as their, uh, identification color rather than blaze orange. So no, neither one of the two plantations I went to, the guides were in, they were all in red. Gotcha. Which is kind of cool. Which, uh, Nebraska pheasant hunting, uh, you were not required to wear orange either. Oh, cool. You were only required for rifle hunting or muzzleloader hunting, you got to wear orange. 
It's going to be, what, mm. 52 square inches or – at least in Kansas it had to be – Kansas it was you were required to wear it pheasant hunting and rifle. You needed 52 square inches of 52 orange. 52 square inches. So you couldn't get away with just an orange hat. It had to be torso. Yep. Yeah, until you get in a tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then whatever happens. Then whatever happens, happens, happens right. right. Whatever people do on their own time, I – yeah. <laughs> I will tell you, I drew my drawing my so two years ago. I drew my muzzleloader tag in Kansas. This past year, I drew my archery tag. I will tell you one thing: I don't want to be. I don't want to be rifle hunting in Kansas for the ten days they do it because mm-hmm. everybody is in the mm-hmm. woods. I refuse to rifle hunt in Kansas. I grew up there, um, did a lot of archery hunting. Refuse to rifle hunt. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm same way. I mean, I'm again fortunate enough to draw those tags. I'll I'll put in for my archery tag every year, but I'm not rifle hunting. Yep, there. Just like here, the Orange Army comes out. Yeah, yep. like an Orange exactly. Army with their um, you know, Hummers almost freaking driving through a field. <laughs> <laughs> hunting from the roads. <laughs> hunting from the roads, driving our cricks. Not everyone's that way, but uh, at least the public lands. I wouldn't even pheasant hunt during rifle season because it's there's so it's many that, hunters out. It's that dangerous, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so y'all want a controversial topic we can talk about real quick. Yes. Being, being oh, we love y'all it. are halfway in between. All right, so being from the south. So I'm I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Originally grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. So we are, there's like zero public land in Alabama. I mean, every state was gifted a certain amount of land, and then the states could do what they do with them. So no public land in Alabama. So I've all hunted private land all my life and see nothing wrong with it but you know there's a there's the private land guys there's the public land guys and out the further you get out west the more and more public land is you know what everybody wants to see and if you don't you know western hunters if you're not hunting public land you're cheating so com- comments conversation about mm-hmm. public versus private land um <laughs> pu- here we go where land is cheap you see a lot more public land Greg. Uh, except for Colorado and the mountain states. Well, it wasn't it just got expensive there? Yes. Yeah. A, a friend of mine owns Saint, a company called St. James Sporting Properties, Blaine St. James, and he has made an absolute fortune off of now selling that land you're talking about. He bought it one way, and now it's it's something else. Land wasn't when ever when the states were putting stuff into public land. Land was cheap in Colorado. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree with that. And so much of it is uninhabitable anyway. You can't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. So you got to put it in public ground. So Nebraska is like the perfect example for this. This side of the state, there is no public ground, very little. But you get on the western side of the state when ground goes from $10,000 an acre to $1,000 an acre. Now you're seeing what's the old Galal grassland? Sixty thousand acres. I don't know what it is in total. I know there's some thirty to forty thousand just continuous acres. Yes. That's patches of it, but it's spread out for a long ways. So, if I'm going on a hunt, I got the money. I'm doing. I'm going private because <laughs> I don't want Joe Blow freaking ruining. Like everyone's this way, but like. When I get a hunt, this is also my busy time back at home. I might only have three days right. to do it. And so this year I drew a mule deer tag in western Nebraska. I was supposed to be in my buddy's unit. He gave me the wrong unit. That was all on the last podcast. But 
Um, so now I'm scrambling. I'm calling people. I walked into the coffee shop that morning because I had one day to do this with 300 bucks. And I asked, who's got a mule deer? Don't need shot. No, no takers. But I left here at 6. I got there about 2 or 3 in the morning. Slept in my truck till about 6. And then I just found some walk on ground. And I made it about 6 miles back there. And I was still finding boot tracks. And, I mean, that was in the middle. And so I pretty much pushed out this whole ranch, um, hit a couple other spots. I seen one mule deer driving from one spot to the next. And uh, I just decided at 3 o'clock, like, this ain't going to get Yeah, I got to get, I got a guy to hunt tomorrow, so I got to get back. Well, and I, you know, it's interesting because I enjoy planning these trips as much as I do going on the trips. The excitement for me is, you know, the leading up to it and then have a have a great time when i'm at, on these trips but it, the planning part the anticipation is always fun and that's what the public guys are like oh you got to do your own scouting you got to do you can do that no matter what but we all have a busy lives and we're all and we all have a limited time so i love the duck hunt and i go to kansas and do that but i pay chase to have everything ready and everything but living in nashville you know the the Nashville moves to Arkansas during duck season. I mean, these guys lease these farms and go every weekend. And you know, it's not about scouting there; it's about the property you you've leased or own. If they got ducks, great, but they go every weekend. You know, chasing them or scouting every day. You know, out, you got to scout in Kansas because you got to know where the ducks and the geese are. And so you're going somewhere. If they don't come in, they don't come in. We had a hunt flip side of i mean i we deserved the 25 minute 60 miler hunt because last year we were out there and it was a december and it was 80 degrees oh in western kansas in december and we had seven thousand geese on a pond behind us that would they'd get up and they'd spin around and they'd go back down and get up spin around go back down we're sitting there watching them do this you know no reason for them to move yeah half a mile away and we didn't we didn't shoot a shell that morning so, you know, it's no matter what you do, it, it's still hunting. And I think that's where people kind of get lost in their technique. And, I, I mean, another controversial conversation is I think hunters are sometimes hunters' worst enemies because we kind of fight about how we do stuff. And we don't, you know, as you know, conservation is a big part of hunting, but we don't band together as sportsmen. We kind of have some infighting going on. Austin uses that argument. So I do. For your point, it's really good, but for all of Austin's shit. (laughs) 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 But um, public land, do we need more of it? Yes. Will we ever get it? I don't think it's going to be the way it is. Unless, you know, I even talked to the Pheasants Forever, Nebraska's Pheasants Forever chapter, and they do most of the public land. They're not actively going out and buying it. All they're waiting for is someone to donate it to. To gift it to them, yeah. Yep. Which is sad because, you know, turns out if I have kids, I'm not donating my way into the... Correct. (laughs) ...to my kids. (laughs) But um, then you see something like what Iowa did where on all that ground that flooded and it shifted the river... They just put it all into public ground right away, which was amazing, and some of the best pheasant hunting 
ground i want to say that's public in the midwest is just right across the river and it's getting pounded which is awesome they're getting a lot of out-of-state permits because everyone from omaha is just going there because it's a shorter drive for them so seeing stuff like that you know you don't want to hope for a national disaster but if something like that happens and they see the opportunity to get that ground and turn it into something useful like that that's i think that's the way it's going to be i don't think we're going to see any more land grabs by the government the other thing here's another topic corner crossing what do you think um i so i've watched i mean i think everybody's seen the jason matzinger piece where he has to fly in the helicopter he buys the he does the um he i think at an auction he gets a piece of a hunt and it's literally because you can't cross there's there's i think onyx did a thing there's hundred there's there's more than a hundred thousand acres it's a lot of land that is not accessible accessible, right because it's in the middle of the ranch so the ranch practically owns the property correct Uh now it isn't paying for it so i so two things on that either make somebody buy it and then let the let the government then reinvest that money to buy land that is accessible or figure out an easement process into that land i think that I think that whole the whole corner crossing thing is you if there's if there's a piece of public land there should be access to it somehow. I mean you shouldn't just be able to cut it off and mm-hmm. now how that happened that's 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 the part I'm interested in but how did that piece get in the middle of that ranch and not get sold with that ranch? But I I think that I mean I think the government so I, I there's a guy that my son's friends with his his son and He's done the only in in Colorado. He did a private public land swap, so he had a house there outside of Vail. All the access around the house was was uh, public land, and so he went and bought a piece of land that those guys wanted that the state wanted, and they did a public private swap. But it's one of the only that's ever been done with land management. So we got to have more people like that that want to do stuff like that to help get that land uh accessible to people yes i just quarter crossing drives me nuts because you're not hurting anything by crossing no. the goddamn <clears throat> and that you can't do it drives me nuts but i think that's what i think back to the point earlier and just because it's austin's point doesn't mean it's wrong but that's where that infighting hurts people i mean i'm a public i'm a private yeah. land person you're a public land person well we can't get along well figure it out i mean Kind of if the world would just make if people would just do use common sense these days, then you know lots of things would be better. Austin's generation. So <laughs> <laughs> you said you archery hunt quite a bit. Is that correct? Yes. What is your thought on crossbows? So I'm not a crossbow guy, but again, <laughs> I'm not going to crucify people who are crossbow. I mean, I think there's a place and a time for everything. Um, you may want to have a discussion of is should you be able to use a crossbow in all archery season? I think that's a I think that's a conversation for the people who are managing the animals mm-hmm. um, and wildlife biologists. You know, does that does it increase the amount of animals that are taken during archery season because you're using a crossbow? I would say it's probably minimal, but again. As I told y'all last night, I'm an experienced guy. So I went to I went to Kansas on my deer hunt, and um, Chase White with foul plane. He had 
this was his, the first year he had done deer hunting. And so three of us, two guys from Virginia and myself, had drawn tags. The other two guys were muzzleloader hunting. And Chase did all the scouting. His guys did all the scouting, set up all the stands and everything. And so he'd been sending me pictures for, back to your point about needing a guide to set up everything for you. So he'd been sending me pictures for weeks on this one particular deer. And we settled it. I'm going to hunt that deer out of this stand at this, you know, it was, it was 95 out there. We were tail into that heat wave y'all had back in September. Mm-hmm. So it was still 95 during the day. I'd get in the stand at 3.30 in the afternoon. It'd be 95. Mm-hmm. Um so we knew it was going to come in at the last, you know, five minutes of light. But um, I, I enjoyed the experience. So, you know, I, ne- I didn't kill, I didn't see the deer in the daylight. We figured out the second, second to last night I was there, he was coming in from a different direction because Chase came to pick me up, and he's standing in the road looking at me, and I, he was looking in the direction I was walking in every day. So the next day, the last day I hunted, Chase was freaked out. And I'm like, no, I'm hunting this stand because as soon as I don't hunt that stand again, he'll show up. So I came in from the other direction. He did not show up that night. But Saturday night, I'm sitting in Houston at one of Brax's baseball tournaments. had flown from, from Wichita to Houston. And uh, the next night, he came in right at, right at, right at dusk. <sighs> And so we, so we were busting him. He was watching me walk in, but you know, that's part of the deal is, you know, so the crossbow thing is if you're into having to harvest an animal and you need that to do it, that's fine. But when I kill a 180 inch deer with my bow, I don't care if it takes me five years. That's, that's going to be the experience for me. Gotcha. You don't hammer him with the questions that you hammer me with. No, I, he made a great point. Well, um, he, he went straight to what took us about three episodes to kind of conclude our discussion is, I believe, crossbows, if you're not in the category, if you can't use a normal bow, then you can use it the whole archery season. But if you're crossbow hunting just to use a crossbow, you should get your own season. Right. I, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's... I agree with you. There's some limitations that people have had. So Jake had shoulder surgery one year, and he couldn't pull his bow back. So that year he used a crossbow, and yeah, I'm good. I'm good with that. But you know, he put his rifle down when he was 10, 12 years old and bow hunted for the next eight years before he ever picked up a rifle again. Right. And so you know, during that time he had the shoulder surgery, and we did the, the crossbow. But then he put it back down. So I agree with you. It's it's you know if there's a limiting factor, then use a crossbow. If there's not, then I think there's a crossbow <laughs> season that doesn't. It can be during archery season, it but maybe be, not as I don't long care if as it's archery just season. Not, just two weeks shorter. Yeah, Nebraska it's September first through the end of uh, December. Right. Just cut out something of it. So if you cut out the first two weeks in December, I mean that's not changing anything. First two weeks of December. I would say, I would say the majority of the deer that are killed with a crossbow are not killed within the first couple weeks of September. Yeah, but if you cut that out, then it cuts out your chances of shooting a buck in velvet. Well, th- that's fine. But my whole deal is, is there's state biologists who have decided, okay, boom, it's not going to hurt our deer population. In fact, it's going to help our deer population to have people hunting with crossbows, the general public, throughout the whole archery season. So that that's where I'm concluded on that is people smarter than me that have dedicated their life to doing research on that have decided that that's what's right. So anyone can do uh, research. <laughs> what? You, you set that on a T. You said some people that are smarter than you doing research. Oh. <laughs> uh, 
I'll throw another one in there. So this is this kind of goes along with what you're saying, Russell. And you know, it's the limitation piece of it, right? Some people don't do their job, their part to practice enough <laughs> to shoot a bow well, right? Crossbows are, you know, for a person who doesn't take the time to go out and do their their part. They're going to be better with a crossbow, right? And and you know, to, if you're going to do that, then don't don't go out and maim an animal with a bow because you haven't taken the time to get well back to, to the experience piece of it. One of the reasons I love bow hunting is because I literally can practice in my backyard. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I live in the city limits of or Davidson County in the city limits of Nashville, and I can go out in my backyard and I can practice with my bow. And so, part of what I enjoy. So, while leading up to this deer hunt, I would shoot. In the mornings before work, I'd come home in the afternoon. Sometimes I'd go home at lunch yeah. and shoot, uh, practice in the backyard. So mate, when I can shoot 55 yards, almost 60 yards in my backyard. So you practicing at that distance, wanting a 30-yard shot, I agree with you 100%. I mean, but again, I think it's – I think what we lose sometimes in the context of hunting and being outdoors and our, our fly fishing or whatever is it's, it's really an experience-based – um, it's an experience. I think that people that just are worried about the harvest are losing part of the joy of what you know this this space is. And I do, and I do think what I'm excited about is people like Austin and Jace who are younger, who are bringing the experience back. I, I mean, I believe there's a lot of people that were into that whole. Hey man, if I don't go out and you know kill a big deer or whatever, I mean, growing up in Alabama, I mean, deer hunting to me was not what it is today. Until I met somebody when I was in my late teens or in college who like was actually managing land in Alabama before managing land became popular. Yeah. Um, and I think what one of the things that I really enjoy now is watching the people manage their land. You know, they farm for deer, they farm for pheasant, they farm for quail. You know, that's what improving land, and I think that's, again, a public versus private. I mean, mm-hmm. people sink a lot of money into these private, their private farms so that they can grow big deer. And they, you know, they're the guys that are really helping the population and conserva- the conservation piece of it. And I think that's where it's really, you know, positive for, for those type of people. Yeah. The experience. Um, do you hear about, you know, don't, pass on a, a animal you would shoot the last day on the first day right i would pass that animal every time I, w- I want the three or four days of misery of not seeing anything just as long as i'm out hunting my grandpa took me out when i was little and or i was probably 12 13 and the deal was during rifle season i always got to skip that friday if i didn't have a deer so the sunday night weekend before grandpa's like shoot that deer shoot that deer there's a doe out there so I missed that deer on purpose because I wanted to skip school on Friday. So I could <laughs> no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That, that's a, yeah. So yeah, I agree. The experience for you know a lot of it's that's what you truly enjoy. I mean, I'll go out and sit on a just watch a goose feed. I might not even hunt it, but just just watch them coming in and trying to figure out. All right, where, where's the feed I'm going to find? Well, and some days that sometimes that's a good a good philosophy, and I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm a I pass. We'll, we'll go to we have a ranch in South Texas, um, and we'll go down there, and I'll pass 
until we get toward the end. It drives Preston crazy. Preston Presley's sitting there with us as well. But um, so it's a ranch that Preston's, uh, the guy, the company he works for, Brian Baker, he owns it, and he's been gracious enough to almost let me be part owner in it because I, I love the place. I mean, it's, it's my family's, you know, heaven on earth. It's down at, outside, of, outside of Del Rio. But two years, uh, COVID hit, and Preston calls me and he goes, hey, man, let's go to the ranch. You've never seen the ranch during the spring. We always go at Christmas, in between Christmas and New Year. So we load up. Don't know. I mean, we're three weeks into COVID. I mean, it's like middle of April of 20. And we load up, and boys are out of school, and we start driving down. Don't know what we're going to find. We, so we figure all truck stops will be open. So, I mean, literally, that's what we stopped at. for. It's a 20-hour drive from Nashville. So <laughs> we stopped at truck stops all the way from Nashville to Del Rio. But so we roll in about two o'clock in the morning and Preston and his wife are already there. And we're like, he, we get up the next morning. I'm cleaning up, doing some stuff around the around the house and everything. And about 11, Preston's like, OK, here's the deal. What would you shoot? He said, you never shoot on the first day. He said, what would you shoot if you see it today? I'm like, uh, a Corsican. So it's uh, the ranch is 2,000 acres, borders of Devil's River State Park. And there's a huge amount of exotics down there. I mean, we have Aldad, the Barbary sheep down there, um, Axis, Whitetail, all those type of things. And so, but Corsican rams are, are, there's a couple of herds of them down there. And so I told Press, I'm like, I'll, I'll shoot a Corsican. If I see a Corsican today, I'll shoot it. So... Preston's always in a hurry, so he goes speeding off in the in his Polaris with uh, his wife and my oldest son Jake, and then my wife Kelly and I and Brax, my youngest son, are in the other one. So Preston runs off, and there's a fork in the road. The way we're going down on the bottoms, there's a fork in the road. Preston's left-handed, I'm right-handed. So what Preston do? He went left, but I didn't know that, so I went right. So we come to the end of the area of the ranch where it dead ends into another piece of property, and up on the hill. There's 15 Corsican rams standing there. So I get up on, I get in the back of the, I get up on top of the players and get my rifle set up and everything. And I don't even have the bullet in the gun. And so I get on him and there's, I pick out the one and there's this one. He's giant. I mean, he is huge. And so he stands there and he's all posed for me up on a rock. It's about a 300 yard shot, probably about a 30 degree angle up. So not 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 too difficult. The only problem is he's facing the property line of the of the of our ranch to the to the next ranch. So I've got to shoot him within and have have him, you know, within about fifty yards of not jumping the property line because I just really don't want to deal with the other ranch owner and having to do that. Anyway, long story, I shot him, and he's eleven and a half years old. I mean, he he's awesome. Um, but the flip side of that, we're down there this past Christmas, and first morning we go out and we come across the first rise and the the feeders right behind the house we don't hardly ever see anything so you make that little run and you're like not expecting something there's this chocolate horn 10 point 10 or 12 points standing in the feet at a feeder where we've never seen a deer this size before so i get on again get in the back of the players and get all set up on him and the boys are like dad shoot that deer it's probably 280 yard shot or whatever not a, not too difficult and i'm like man it's the first day i'll see that deer again guess what 
I, we hunted for 10 days and I never saw that deer again. And I'm still mad at, at to this point. I mean, it, you know, he wasn't just, he was a perfectly symmetrical chocolate horned deer and there was still rut down there. So rut in South Texas. So right now the peak rut's supposed to be uh, Christmas Eve. Um, Jake and I watched probably the biggest deer we've ever seen down there. Jay, he was about a mile away. We watched him through a spotting scope and through binoculars. But January 1st of this year, they were still chasing. Um, so that rut is so late in the year, but it's, it, it's really cool. But, man, they go everywhere once that thing hits. So would you didn't shoot the deer. Nope. Would you give up shooting that deer and then the next 10 days of hunting? Uh, no. No, because we had a lot of fun doing other stuff. So, again, I can never – Again, I'm an experienced guy, so I can never not I that that whole week would have been different because I was looking for that deer the whole time. Um finally we got to down to the last couple of days and some other ones were coming in and we we ended up not I, I mean I deer hunting down there, I probably kill something once every three years. And so again, it's not about the harvest, it's about all the stuff that goes on around that. Which is how it's supposed to be. Sure. All right. We've talked experience. We've talked chocolate 10 points. Let's talk <laughs> about the perfect eight. How about that freaking segue? <laughs> <laughs> so um, with, my, with my day job, I do a lot of uh, client development, client relationship stuff. And from that, I um, have learned to, and I enjoy being a quote-unquote entertainer, um, of friends and clients and all. So on a sideline kind of uh, business that I'm trying to start is, or I am starting in 2023, it's called Perfect Eight. And it is an experience company where we can go out and you can find all sorts of outfitters and stuff. And they can you can call them and they'll send you, they'll say, hey, man, I'll go here, go there. What I want to do that's different than that is – I want to be the person who plans a trip for you. And my, so my perfect customer would be somebody who says, hey, man, I want to go I want to go pheasant hunting. I've never been pheasant hunting before, and I want to go pheasant hunting. I thought it, think it would be cool. So my thing's going to be, okay, what size clothes do you wear? What food do you like? I mean, plan the whole thing. And come, we'd come here because I want to go to places where I know the people who run the place. I've been to the place. I've know, I know what experience they're going to get again. I also want a client who's looking for the experience, not just the hunt or the fishing trip. So um, it's it it's I've run some test trips this this fall. A bunch, all, most all the trips I've been on have, have been. Were test we trips. a test test trip? You were a test trip as well. Yes. Did yes. we pass? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, he had know, butters as guys. Right? He had butters yeah. as the guys. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Uh, even butters passed. <laughs> <laughs> even butters passed. <laughs> yeah, Jace had more important people he had to guide, yeah, so so we geez. got butters. But so so Austin is now our key, our number one guide because Jace distance for somebody else. So anyway, so we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about, <laughs> we're gonna talk about that. But I, I you know I think it's so important. I, what I was gonna say so doing these trips, the one thing I did learn that I thought, but I confirmed it doing these things is you have to have. So what I, again? What I want to bring to it is. You plan a trip. You want you want it done. You have a group that goes, but the one thing you got to have is a host or an organizer. 
And so we did a trip. We did 12 people to a place, Mill Pond Plantation, down in um, South Georgia. And the guy who owns the place is great, but he spent, in four days we were there, he spent maybe 20 minutes with us. And so what I understood about that, I had a group of a group of six people and a group of five people that were in similar businesses and all friends of mine, but they really didn't know each other. So it was kind of a, uh, a time for them to get to know each other. They had some like business opportunities and so you're trying to merge that that group as well but i spent i were i was there for four days i never shot a shell because i spent my time making sure everything was organized and working behind the scenes with the people who own the place or the guides or whatever making sure kind of everything was done so that's kind of what i want to do with with perfect date is be that experience company that does hunting fly fishing we're going to do some bourbon stuff we're actually even going to do uh we're going to do a racehorse um maybe in 2023 where you know we have 20 people buy in have a buy-in amount and your the experience will be a year's worth of following this racehorse and you'll be listed as an owner and you'll be able to go when they uh when they when you want to go when the horse runs a matter of fact the trainer that i'm gonna get to do this she won with a horse today i got a text while we're hunting today that uh this horse named andy um and anybody from kentucky it's named it is named after the governor and that it, it's official name is you can't be doing that and if you go google that you'll see all these uh uh public service announcements that the governor did during covid said you can't be doing that so the horse that's what the horse's <laughs> name is you can't be doing that and when the horse came to care of he, she was like, hey, he doesn't have a barn name. She goes, oh, yeah, he's got a barn name. His barn name's Andy, which is the governor's name. So anyway, <sighs> so uh, so Kara's going to be – so that so can't be doing that one today, and Kara's going to be our trainer for that. So, you know, just trying to trying to provide experiences for people that, again, anybody can go to an outfitter, anybody can call and say, hey, you want to do this. I want to bring to the to, to people an experience that you can't get. Um, you know, being coming out here, you know, Trent, Trent's part of the talent. I use air quotes that, but you know, trying to be able to to have access to people that if you don't do an experience with me, you won't have access to those people. And I'm gonna have partners with all that as well. I mean, we've already kind of gone through a lot of the people in the industry who are going to be you know partners with me. We're kind of gonna gather content for those guys. We'll do some photography. We'll do some filming on some of these experiences. So you may have an you may have an opportunity if you come on an experience to be in a catalog to be on a video. Because you guys are trying to gather content, I mean, year round, and that's what I've under, what I've really kind of learned also in in the industry of whether it be dog training or kennels or clothing or whatever. You, I've got such a short time to gather content that you have to put out there for the year. So how I can partner with these guys and wear their clothes or have their kennels or have their dogs on these experiences? Because what I at the end of the day, what I want to do is I want you to have an experience, but I want to be hunting over a particular dog and somebody say, hey, I want that dog. Or I want a dog just like that. And you're like, okay, I got a guy. Back to the hug, I got a guy, guy. So, <laughs> but that, the guy then goes home and he's sitting around the fire pit or at, in the house watching TV and that dog is laying beside him and it reminds him of the experience he had on his hunting trip. You know, whether that be cigar, bourbon, dog, clothes, whatever. So trying to tie that. Everybody works hard, spends their money doing what they're doing. And how I can bring that back into their daily lives to remind them, hey, this is why I'm working hard. It's because I want to do this. So long answer to your question. 
That's the only answers we like on this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the podcast would be 15 minutes. Um, sure. So when is the goal kickoff date? Well, so right now I'm working on planning trips for 2023. I've got a uh, fly fishing trip to Montana. Uh, we're going to use the Bitterroot Mile Club as our um, is, is our lodge for that trip. Uh, probably going to be in July. I'm going to Africa for my my 55th birthday and my boy's graduation my uh my oldest son graduated from college in may and my youngest son graduated from high school so we were loading up and going to africa the last week of may first week of june and then once i get back we'll do the trip for um we'll do, in july we'll do the um the fly fishing trip we're going actually i was telling austin yesterday we're also going to do a duck hunting trip out of that same lodge because i i didn't realize this until the guy who um colin who's out there who's gonna help me with this be the fishing guide and the hunting guide they duck hunt out there like in september so just some beautiful pictures and so one of the this is a long-term experience that i want to do but i am i'm a bucket list this is one of my bucket list things so i think everybody will like it but i want to start one year it won't happen in 2023 because it's going to take me probably a year to plan it but I want to start in North Dakota. I've been to Canada waterfowl hunting, so I've done that. It it it's good. I'm it maybe a little bit overrated because a lot of people do it. But you know, if they need to do it, that's fine. But I want to start in North Dakota. I want to work my way down and maybe do two weeks of where we hunt different places, different waterfowl in North Dakota, South Dakota. Come down here and pheasant hunt, and then maybe take a break, and then. But basically, I want to start in September some sort of waterfowl slash bird hunting and wind up in south georgia in february and so it'd be a whole you try to get a guy a group of guys who want to do that kind of stuff and i'm sure there'll people come in and out of that but if we could get a core group of four or five six guys who wanted to do that over a four or five month period of time i think that'd be a lot of fun so you your goal year for this is 2024 so for that trip would be 2024 so this is what i want to do I want to get a lab ready. Yep. Send it with you on this trip. Oh, that'd be fantastic. That would be fantastic. Now, the other thing I want to do, though, is so, you know, so I've got a, um English Cocker Spaniel that has come into my life, and it's it's pretty interesting because Trent has had one come into his as well. So Trent has steel. For the people that do not know, Bez Bonanza was a G start off it was a Springer Spaniel kennel. Yep. With Italian Spumonis. Right. Yes. And then the breeding got hard on the Spumonis, so they phased both of them out. And then they started doing when uh Trent got deuce, they started doing labs and GSPs. And in the last two years, we've we're not phasing out the labs, we're just Everyone's supplementing, bre- supplementing. Every, supplement. Everyone's breeding labs now. So um we're slowing down on the lab side. We're still gonna have them. We're still gonna have GSPs, but we've added Griffins and we're gonna have a bunch of cockers now because everyone's falling in love with this dog seal. And we just had three more puppies come in. Females, I think we have three more females in the back. Steel's gonna be a happy dog this spring. Um it's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But um, talking cockers, they can do, in my opinion, everything a lab can do with, and they can outlast a lab. Yeah, Bandit ran. We finally had to put him up today in the afternoon. He ran yesterday morning. 
then we did a we did a shoot yesterday afternoon that he just had to retrieve birds for and then he ran all morning this morning so austin he probably put two or three different braces up and out and bandit did not he stayed on the ground the whole time and by the time we put him in the truck at noon he literally was in a a sleep in my buddy's lap within two minutes of us getting in the car (laughs) but i put him up at lunchtime and he took a nap and he made about three quarters of the afternoon but yeah they are they're fantastic they can go they eat less they poop less i think bandit was a part of between the day and a half that you guys hunted over 50 birds the day and a half so three hunts over 50 birds bandit was a part of picking up or retrieving yeah absolutely so the crazy and pointing thing, yeah the crazy thing about him is we got i got him from a quail quail place up in kentucky and the guides didn't want to use him because he was a quote-unquote flushing dog and they didn't really know how to use him so when uh so back up to i'm a i was a trent lab guy as well i had i had one of deuce's puppies Bo, who uh passed away in uh 2020 and jake had found bandit from working up at wing haven um taking care of the kennels and stuff during covid while he's out of college and he called me and says hey man i found your hey dad i found your next dog i'm like what are you talking about so anyway there's this little black dog he's not happy he doesn't like living in the kennels and so i'm friends with the guy who owns that russell edwards and so i called russell and said hey he, long story he's like you want the dog you need the dog i said i don't need another dog i'm good and then when Bo passed away a few weeks after that about three or four weeks after that i called him one night thursday night i knew he'd been drinking i'd been drinking a little i'm like hey man you know you asked me if i wanted that dog or i needed that dog i said man i need that dog he says come get him so i went up the next weekend picked we went deer hunting up there picked him up and brought him home put he lived in a kennel brought him in the house no real problems he's very well well behaved my wife wouldn't say that but he is very well behaved um but we took him back up um about three weeks later and we put him on the ground and tried to use him as a flushing dog off the leash and everything and he did okay not great he pulled on the leash a lot so second day we're up there <clears throat> he um russell went hunting with me and he watched that dog for two or three minutes and he's like hey man he looked at the head guy and he said take that dog off the leash and put that pointer up and let's see what he does well within five minutes he had pointed flushed and we shot the bird and retrieved it and he looked at me and goes can i have him back i'm like no you can't have him back <laughs> And uh, so we hunted him probably six or seven times up there that year to get him, you know, pretty acclimated into that that pointing, flushing, retrieving side of it. Now, it's not a pretty point. I also will tell you, it's not a really pretty point, but it is enough of a it's point a, for you to know what he's doing. It's an effective point, though. Yes. That's all that matters. It's one of the most unique points I've ever seen. It's not like he doesn't pick up a leg. It's not tail straight. It's... But you 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 know you that he's, yeah, he's pointing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. I I've seen labs point. I've seen labs point. Um, but this is different. Even even that, yeah. I think it's it's just boom. He's there and he just kind of stops. He, he stops and he in his head. I mean, he's got his head. Mm-hmm. Point, you know, so you you can tell. I mean, he's got that that the head is positioned in, in that point mm-hmm. position. That's that's how I can always tell. And the interesting thing is, he did a couple of points by himself today. But the interesting thing is, he worked very well with the first female. Bryn, Bryn, that yep. you had. I mean, the yesterday you could really tell because Bryn was down, then she was up, then she was down for the second, and he always kind of followed. He would watch her, and when she got on a point, he would go to where she was and then find the bird, and then he would kind of point as well mm-hmm. and wait for Austin. I think the cool thing about him is, and I never would have known this, like 
So I told Austin Day, I'm like, hey, you, or yesterday, I'm like, you handle him. I said, you know, I'll help you if you need something because he just knows my tone and my voice and everything. But I said, you're the guy, you handle him. And he did great with that. I mean, I couldn't even get him in the, in the house this afternoon because he's following <laughs> Austin around because he thinks he's going hunting again. So anyway. Which is, for those that don't know, which is terrifying when a client does that because all I'm thinking is don't shock this dog. Don't hit this dog at the wrong time. Well, and, you know, I'm very realistic with him. I, I told Austin yesterday, I'm like, hey, if he gets out here and does, this was his first pheasant hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, if he gets out here and does terrible, we're putting him in the trailer and we're just going to leave him sit there and let him whine because he's not out there. But, again, that's something that a lot of dogs, I've got several client dog stories that I could tell where they've taken a dog they said it was wonderful and it was like <laughs> terrible. That's how Austin's first year was. We gave him all the clients that brought their own dog. <laughs> on, on I kid purpose. you not. On like, purpose. Oh, like yeah. 10 guided hunts back to back. Just horrible dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. Oh, they, you got your own dog? Butters loves a, extra dogs. Jace knew what him. he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I had, I had a client go with us one time duck hunting. Uh, at Real Foot Lake, um, you know, in northern Tennessee. And he talked about this dog for years of how it does. The guide had to go keep the dog. The, the guide had to leave the blind in his boat and go grab the dog to keep him from drowning. <laughs> it was a black lab that was about 100 pounds overweight. I don't mean he weighed 100 pounds. He was about 100 pounds overweight. Yikes. And so the first time he swam in circles and didn't retrieve the duck, and he did come back. The second time he swam, he swam around in circles and he started drowning and the guy dog and the guy looked at the guy and goes don't let that dog out of this blind again or i'll shoot him <laughs> tell your britney story real quick <sighs> <laughs> Which, i've worked some really good britneys they're all right talks the ones that are good are really good but jace does not care for britneys but I'm these sorry, ones were not britneys. those uh there was a couple from I won't say what state because if they listen, then East Coast. <laughs> but it was from the northeastern part of the state. Might have been Pennsylvania. I don't know. But <laughs> the, the, this couple brought their Britneys, and um, they had parked their RV here. And super nice people when I first met them. Like, oh, these guys are really cool. Um, we get out for our first hunt, and they said, "Hey, do you mind if we run our dogs?" I said, "Absolutely." I said, "You got a couple pointers? I'm just going to run a lab." Um, I'll let your, your dogs, you know, you guys paid for this hunt. As long as you're cool with it, I'm going to let your guys' dogs put on the show, and then I'll have my dogs retrieve and, and flush. We get out, first strip, these dogs take off, bust up all the birds in the whole strip without us even getting on any of them. Like, okay. Run, run them all up. <laughs> I was just thinking maybe they need to get the piss and vinegar out of them. You know, we, we got it out of this first strip. <laughs> I should also mention that they had these collars that would beep constantly. Beep, beep. <laughs> and anytime they'd go on point, it'd make a hawk sound. Okay. So <laughs> we get to walk in the second strip and I hear 80 yards up, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> I go, your dogs are on point, but they're way up. And then right about as I say that, boom, birds are flushing. They're <laughs> <laughs> running the birds. So we finished our first hunt. I bet they flushed, their dogs probably flushed 35 birds and we came back with five. And they were mad at me. They said, Austin, we only got five birds in the back of the truck. What's going on? <laughs> uh, so I'm like, I, I'll get it figured out. 
And then <laughs> what do you say to that? So. <laughs> That's the, one of the things Your about dog. being a guide, a pheasant guide. Uh-huh. Your dogs suck. Like, <laughs> yeah. We didn't see that many birds today. Well, everyone shot two boxes of shells, but. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but I remember like one or two misses. They don't remember all the misses. I, my, after my first year, I started carrying a flush counter so I can show people how many birds actually got up. But all right, butters. Get back. <laughs> so. I I'm starting to scheme up a plan of how I'm going to put these guys on birds, but also run their dogs. So you come to Big Poppy? No, no, no. This was Butter's <laughs> idea. This is one of Butter's only good ideas. But I said I'm going to take him to a spot that just got hunted, so I know that there's no birds there, and I'm going to run the piss out of his dogs. I'm just going to run them hard, hard, hard. We're not going to flush anything up. We're not going to see anything. This is September. It's 75 it, degrees. It, it was hot out, and I said I'm just going to run these guys' dogs till they're plum tired. And then I'm going to go hunt my field. Right. So we get to down and back, down and back, and we're not seeing nothing. And and I I noticed our dogs are getting real tired, and I said, hey, just to warn you guys, I have had a couple of dogs overheat this year. I said, I just kind of want to warn you guys that. And they said, well, what's the first sign of overheating? I look at one of their Britneys, and I go, well, that right there is about the first sign of overheating. <laughs> Whatever it's doing. Whatever right it's there. doing. Yeah. It's sitting there. That was overheating. <laughs> and so he said, well, can we put it back in the truck? Yes, we can. <laughs> I pull out my dogs. Boom. We shot 20 birds that afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you got to tell them their dogs did it all, right? Yeah. And I said, yeah, his dogs are great. We'll see you later. Britney's <laughs> I've ever guided with. Only Britney's I've guided with. Well, I think that's the interesting about that the cockers in general the breed is they are still you know close working and i was i was actually worried about bandit you know yesterday and today because quail hunting he's, he's pretty close but this is bigger space and bigger mm-hmm. bigger bigger open areas and uh, i mean he was right there with the pointers and did a i mean i was i was very happy with how he how he performed yeah. over the last two days i would run bandit on my guide string all year <laughs> long that dog is fun to yeah. watch i mean the dog points Flushes were trees. I mean, it was. I remember when you say that it, it, the first time, you know, Russell called me up. He said, Hey, we're going to go on this hunt up in Kentucky. I want you to see my dog. And he was telling me about the cocker. And this is coming from a guy that's done, I mean, I've, you know, had labs. I've, you know, duck hunted for years, you know, and trained labs, seen all the different pointers and, you know, and, and cockers, but only as a flushing dog. And so when he starts telling me this dog can point and flush, and said, I'm like, Okay, okay, Russell. All right, you know, I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. I can't wait to see him, you know. And I, and I get up there, and I'm like amazed. I'm like, you know, not that I didn't doubt Russell, you know, that I, I was doubting, but I'm like, a cocker that can do all this? Amazing. It was absolutely phenomenal. I had such a good time watching him. I think I had more fun watching, watching Bandit do his thing than I did the actual shooting of birds on that trip. That was awesome. So hopefully the boys won't listen to this podcast, but I told the guys yesterday, both of them, Jake's finishing up playing college baseball and Brax is uh, committed to Georgetown. will go there next year. So, you know, really proud of that. But Watching Bandit last two days, I was like, "Man, this is like watching your kids play baseball." This is like watching <laughs> baseball. So, so uh, hopefully the boys won't be uh, insulted by that. <laughs> so perfect date. Yep. Do you got a website? No, I do not have a website. Bandit has Bandit actually has a uh, 
has an Instagram account that's, <laughs> okay. under, that's, right. that's under that's under Blanket Ship Sporting Clubs, which, which is my grandfather. But no, I've got to do an Instagram. I'm going to do an Instagram and a website for for Perfect Date. We'll end up going to do uh, we'll do Perfect Date experiences, and then my wife is an an architect by by her edu- college education. Went to Auburn in their architecture school. And she loves art. And so we're actually going to do a perfect date experiences. And then she's going to have a perfect date gallery. It's not really going to be a bricks and mortar gallery, but she's got into doing some sporting wildlife landscape art, some commission paintings for some folks around with some pretty talented art artists around the country. And she's going to work Grant uh, Hacking's booth at um, Safari Club International because it's in Nashville this year. So Grant's going to be there. Um, so she's going to play with that as the boys get out of the house and we become empty nesters. So be looking forward in 2023 for perfect date experiences and perfect date gallery. Um, and we'll have uh, more to come on that. But you're going to be in Nashville for SCI. Yeah. So we live in Nashville. We'll be in, we'll be, I'm going to plan a couple of parties uh, with a lot of the uh, different folks in the outdoor industry that'll be in town. We'll do some parties for, those folks and for my clients and my and my day job so everybody can kind of meet and be part of that but we'll do um we'll be at uh seaweed uh the week before that and then we'll do um we'll do uh safari club international in nashville so if you're walking around sci find them He's got a big P eight on his head, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I enjoy I enjoy the logo stuff. I mean, I've, yeah. I'm like I just noticed that you've got this stuff on here. I've got, yeah. I got to get me one of those hats. Yeah, I, I enjoy the whole branding marketing side of it. So it's uh, I've, <laughs> we've developed a logo that can also be a brand. My wife's like, you're not getting any cows. I'm like, well, you know, I'm a big Yellowstone yeah. fan. So <laughs> oh, hey. freaking Trent on cows. Oh uh, yeah. Well, so so uh, before we finish, so I I was telling Austin this. I'm like, dude, that picture of you guys rounding up the Longhorns the other day on Instagram was funny as crap. <laughs> <laughs> it was a. It wasn't as big as a rodeo as I thought. No, it looked like it though. It was a rodeo. It wasn't as big as one. We can't get two of the cows to get out of the yard. So, <laughs> Butters is supposed to be in front in uh, Trent's little green truck. Austin, are you on a horse too? No, I was Jace, a- you were on a horse, right? Yes. Butters is terrified of horses. What? I'm not terrified, but if they do more than a walk, I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. You grew up out here. How are you terrified of horses? I grew up in Kansas. I grew up in Kansas. My wife grew up jumping horses like for competitions. Yeah, yeah. My Kelly, my wife, and my sister-in-law, Candace, they both did that competitively. Not me. So earlier this year, I was there was a possibility I was going to work a trial dog, and the guy wanted me to trial it, but I thought if I run it underneath an amateur trainer, a.k.a. Butters, we could get the points easier. <laughs> But he won't ride the horse to do that. But he wouldn't ride the horse to do it. <laughs> Teach me how to ride a horse, and then I'll do it. All right. So, so one of the experience. All right. So here we go with the perfect right, date. So right. I've ta- so I talked talking to Hunter at Mill Pond. I, one of my bucket list things is I've never done a field trial in the gallery. And after doing the horses and the quail hunts this year, it was it's fantastic. So we need to we need to plan an experience, which will just be go to a field, get a, go to one of the big field trials. And we'll get because 
hunter's like dude i'll do the horses i'll do everything for you we'll just just bring bring the people and we'll do everything for you i'm like okay that sounds cool so we just need to do that when you get austin down there make him ride a horse we'll get we'll get him so (laughs) so all right austin i'm gonna do you the way i did joe so joe comes to the mill pond hunt with us and he's a day late like he was here. He's a day late. He's a day late everywhere. <laughs> he, he, he can only get somewhere for, you know, plan a trip for four days. He can be there for three. So, so we're, uh, we're Better at Better late than never. That's right. So we're at, the, we're at the mill pond hunt, and the guides tell us, hey, we just got some new horses. And he said, we got the shortest horse we've ever seen. I'm like, dude, the guy that's coming in, I love him to death, but he's not the tallest guy in the world. He's getting below the vertical it was challenge. My horse. And so the horse's name was Tiny. I'm like, you I'll bring him out shorty. this afternoon because shorty, shorty, yeah, shorty. shorty. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, y'all bring him out. This I got another that horse real well. <laughs> so, so we had a we had a vertically challenged rider and a sh- horse that most Jason's legs would have drugged the ground. <laughs> Perfect horse for you. So yeah. I thought Trent was setting me up on this cattle drive because the neighbor has horses, and he goes, "Hey, he just sends us a text. Hey, we're we're moving these cows." three to, or four o'clock so we get done with our hunts and this and he goes dave has a horse for you um get up there real quick get on the horse i'm like all right i thought he was setting me up so dave has this horse saddled i go to get on it and this horse blows up i mean just freaking throwing he goes i'll i'll lunge it real quick i'm like all right lunge it real quick and then he tries getting on it blows up again he goes take my horse and then I'll meet you down there with the UTV. So take his horse. Halfway down, I'm trying to get this horse to move because I'm in a hurry. It's just not going, not going. And <laughs> get down there. He switches. He gets on a horse and he goes, I'm like, is there, why ain't this horse moving? Oh, it's pregnant. <laughs> so I've just been beating on this horse for the last 30 <laughs> minutes trying to get it to move so I can hustle down there and figure out it's pregnant. We start moving these cows. Two won't leave. And we got two guys that have never worked cattle before. Ends up, these longhorns can just pick up fences. And one just picks up the fence. And they both bolt out. They went into another pasture. So we're like, screw it. We'll get those later. Start pushing up these cows. Austin was supposed to be in front of these cows with the truck having them follow. But in that chaos, he just let them go on past him. Trent told me to. <laughs> I was just doing what Trent told me to do. I, I had a bucket of feed in the back of that truck, and I, every once in a while I'd sprinkle it out on the ground and say, like Hey, boss! Hey, boss! Like the birds. <laughs> I was out there doing that. Hey, that would be a difficult situation. You got two people telling you what to do. Exactly. Jace and Trent, two pretty big personalities. That would not be a great place to be in. Who signs my paycheck? Trent. I'm listening to the ladder. I would agree with that. 100%. Jace is not very nice when he's working cows, as Austin figured out the other day. <laughs> he says some pretty choice words sometimes. <laughs> um, we start moving these cows up, and I mean, we got open fields to our left, open fields to our right. Nothing really keeping these cows on the road, and we got very lucky all the way up. And we get to uh, where the pasture starts, where the hot wire is, and all these cows decided to, we're just going to go in right here. And all these cows jump the fence into the pasture they're going. Didn't go through the gate, just jumped the fence. And I go, Trent, you got that hot wire on? He goes, yeah, it's on. I'm like, we're going to have some trouble keeping these cows in, but they've stayed in so far. When he was in Vegas, he texted me, he said, hey, the bull's out and one of the heifers is out. And the bull ain't no tiny cow. He got a big old spread on him. 
And I coursed him in with just my two feet. I don't need no horse. <laughs> hey, boss. Hey, boss. I throw some feet in all the ground. <laughs> but, yeah, we have Longhorns now at Fez Bonanza. That's why everyone wears cowboy hats. Butters is working on his. Yeah. Damn. Gotta get that orange one back. This is, get the orange, this one is back. orange, though. What are the odds you buy another orange one? One out of four. Oh, no. Again, a oh. box of them needs to come, and all the new guys need to wear them. Because oh. we, we play a trick on everybody at our company Christmas party. If you're new, we tell we have a meeting on Saturday mornings. We tell if you're new, we're like, man, you got to buy, you got to wear a suit to this thing. We don't ever wear suits, <laughs> so we tell everybody, all the new folks that they got to wear suits, and, and or the girls, they have to, everybody got to dress up. So we've had guys and girls go out and buy new clothes for this <laughs> event on Saturday morning before our Christmas party, and we're in, a, you know, we're in ripped jeans and hoodies and stuff, and they show up and they're in their suits and everything, and they, then they have to stand up and during the meeting and introduce themselves to the whole group and tell tell them where they went to college and how long they've been with with the company. So it's pretty funny. So orange cowboy hats yep. as the initiation for the new guys. All right, I, one out of four. Hold on, you're I still be, on the. Hook. I bet we could buy orange cowboy hats, get a brand, brand them with the PB brand, and sell them up here. Oh, I will talk to Trent about that. That's a business move right there. Business move, but one in four. One in four, but be ready for the rebuttal because you're not picking this number. Oh, yeah, I am. You're not picking this number. Ready? One, One, two, three, one. one. Oh! You little bitch. You're buying another orange cowboy hat. (laughs) (laughs) He just picked it up. I didn't believe this Butters thing until that just happened. Why would you pick one? <laughs> Nobody picks one. Because you said you're not going to pick this number. I was originally going to pick three. <laughs> and then I backed out and picked one. <laughs> All right, I'll buy it. You have to. I know. If you don't want to do whatever the deal is, it's a $250 buyout. All right, so, and and so I want to see a new video done once he gets his new cowboy hat. <laughs> So go ahead and do your business move and buy the orange cowboy hat, get the PB brand put on it, and then show it to Trent and say, hey, we need to buy these and yep. buy the truckload. We'll order 100 pieces just as a tester. So the other thing we're going to do is the first trip perfect eight comes up. Ooh. There's going to be a perfect eight brand on like eight of them. That'll be, <laughs> that'll be good. Yeah, and we'll yeah. tell everybody you have to wear blaze orange and you have to wear the cowboy hat. Yeah, Absolutely. We're, we're not, that definitely... Definitely do that for sure. And I've modeled two of his his test hunts, so you know I need to stay in with it. So I'll, I'll be taking <laughs> one of those those hats. We're gonna yeah, create Joe, it. Joe's been a trooper. He's done two of the te- he's done. This is the second test hunt. So yeah, I was I was actually in the one in South Georgia with him too. Of course with the with Shorty. Yeah, exactly. Shorty and Axe. Shorty and well, Axe was there. Yes. Axe so that was, was one of those places where you. Don't take your dog. Right. Not on that hunt. Not on that, that hunt. Horse yeah, hunt. That, on the horse Horseback. Hunt. The first the first place I went to Pine Hill Plantation was the first place I went to and we did take Bandit on that horse on that trip. But the interesting thing is on a wagon hunt, horse hunt, is the cockers, the pointers on the ground and the cockers sure. sit on the wagon and they're only released once you shoot a bird and they're just to go retrieve the bird. So Bandit, as everybody saw this week, I mean, he loves being on the ground with the pointers and when he's quail hunting right. he's the same way. So he did not like, so he stays in the kennel because they can't stay in the house, stays in the kennel. They bring him out. They put him on the wagon. We get there. The wagon set up the mules, the horses, everything. Bandit's sitting on the wagon just like he's supposed to, chain, and they're chained to the wagon. 
So everything's okay. I jump on my horse. We start out. They'd let those pointers go on the ground. What's Bandit do? He jumps off the wagon, tries to hang himself. <laughs> because and the guy and the guy the guy driving the wagon is like grabbing him, you know, keeping him from from killing himself. And so he did not like sitting on that wagon yep. while the pointers were on the ground doing their thing. It's a new experience, you know. These dogs haven't really hunted with horses. You know, you don't know what they're going to do. Wagons out there. It's a different. It's a different ball game. So back to you know, kind of the experience piece of so the the mill pond plantation hunt. The God had a 10-month-old red cocker, and he was awesome, Jay. But, dude, he was so green. So the first first time they tried to release him off the wagon, he goes and pees on the wagon. He pees on the horses. He pees on one of the, <laughs> he pees on one of the clients. I mean, you know, it's, it's just – and so Hunter's all embarrassed. He's like, I'm putting that dog up. I'm like, dude, that dog's never going to learn. Because they have to get off the wagon. They have to go get the bird. They want them to carry the bird back on the wagon and deliver it to either them or the wagon driver to hand. I mean, it's a big deal. A lot of stuff that goes on. And he's like, I'm putting that dog up. I'm like, no. You're not putting that dog up. We're going to use that dog the whole time we're here, and we're going to help that dog figure out. So my job was I'd jump off my horse after I'd shoot everything. I'd jump off the horse, make sure everybody was okay. So I'd take one of my my lead ropes and un, and use it like a leash. So I'd go get Jay and take him to the thing, and you know he would then learn to retrieve and all that. But it is a different experience to do it that way for sure. The true gentleman's quail. Huh? Yep. Yes. Absolutely. It is it is nostalgic for sure. Well, boys, we better get you guys down to supper. Time for dinner. Yep. It's been fun. So yeah, thanks for doing podcast. this. Yeah, I appreciate it. Perfect date's <laughs> first podcast and my first podcast, so I appreciate you doing it. We're going to do a lot more of them. You're going to be on the phone call list all the time. So oh, awesome. Just, yeah. just a warning. The other day, we were just calling people randomly. Wondering what they're doing for Christmas and what their what their trips are doing, so you be ready for that. I'm all in, um, but appreciate you guys coming up. As it was a, little, I didn't get to do much with you, but I had a lot of fun last night. I think Austin had a lot of fun. Oh, I had a blast. Yeah. Well, and, and for everybody listening, Abby, if you're listening, don't listen. But you know, Jace is dating way over his head. So um, <laughs> everybody. Uh, butters austin has married over his head like we all did <laughs> so, and jace is dating over his head so she's wonderful girl right. and enjoyed spending time with everybody last night and this has been i was telling again i was telling austin today this has been a fantastic trip uh it's a great place anybody wants to come pheasant hunting spend time in the field and with good people this yep. is the place to be yep we appreciate very that. much agreed everyone thanks for listening pheasant bonanza coming up once again turkey season's right around the corner Sherry's got those dates booking up, so if you want in on that first couple weeks of shotgun, give her a call. Snow goose season's right around the corner. Cash will be up here. We'll be doing a couple podcasts with him. We got winter wheat behind the blind this year, some candy out there, which they won't see on this side of the state, so hopefully that's going to be the game changer. Other than that, dog training's coming up. You were doing a three-gun league this year? Maybe. We'll see. Maybe. Well, if you want Butters to do a three-gun league, yell at him mm-hmm. should be having a trap or a skeet and five stand league maybe or are maybe. you just going to run two sporting clay leagues haven't decided yet well we got a whole bunch of shotgunning coming up he's still um got some openings on gunsmithing if you need a gun looked at taken apart built he does it all he just we got a cnc machine so he can um engrave guns 
Yeah, I did not do that yet. I need to see a Z machine. No, yeah, I think that's the boss's decision. Maybe, maybe Jace is getting me one for Christmas, so. I'll get you a file. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old school. Yeah. Little engravers. <laughs> but uh, thanks for listening. Um, if this is where this won't come out until after Christmas, but hopefully you will all have a happy new year and have a hope you had a Merry Christmas and we'll be chasing birds in the snow and the cold. And so, wind. And wind. Yeah, that's right. right. It's never too late to pheasant hunt at Pheasant Bonanza. So if you're looking for a bird hunt, give us a call. We got puppies coming up. But thanks for listening. This is the In the Field Podcast brought to you by Pheasant Bonanza.